Welcome to episode six of Origins Unknown podcast. We're so excited to be back. I'm Claire Huntington. And I'm Chris Holt. This week, we spoke to Jeremy Clark. He and his wife, Nicole, adopted four children from Bulgaria with alternative needs. We will also hear about his experience with international adoption. This is one of those moments for Claire and I where we realize that we as people can always do more. We also found it very interesting to hear about the time it takes for an international adoption to be completed. As the world has shifted from face-to-face interaction to Zoom calls and social distancing, we're at the mercy of technology. During the course of the interview, Jeremy's Wi-Fi signal lagged and there's some hiccups in the audio as you'll hear. Claire and I reviewed our options and decided the authentic story and compelling nature of this first interview couldn't be replicated. It is with that in mind that we have chosen to go ahead with the less than perfect interview recording. As adoptees, we often strive for perfection. So this was a really hard call for Chris and I to make. We hope that you enjoy Jeremy's extremely incredible story. We would also like to shout out Aaron or Brass Tax for being our second Patreon subscriber at the top tier down with OUP tier. Thank you for your support on all our social media platforms and being Patreon subscriber, OG number two. Enjoy. Here we are. Welcome to Origins Unknown Podcast. My name is Chris Holt. I'm Claire Huntington. And with us today, we have... Jeremy Clark. All right. So uh, just a little backstory before we get into this discussion. Uh, Jeremy and I know each other from a CrossFit gym that essentially, I guess we swap roles. He was on his way out. I was on my way in. And so, yeah, so that's how we know each other. We've been in the CrossFit community for many, many years. So we align on a lot of things when it comes to wellness, fitness, and all that stuff. Um, all right. So yeah, Jeremy, if you want to, for our listeners, for people who are viewing on YouTube, if you just want to introduce yourself and tell us a little about your situation. Absolutely. My name is Jeremy Clark, born and raised in Houston, Texas, been living in uh, Salt Lake City for 15 years now. Uh, My wife and I decided to grow our family through adoption, and we've adopted four boys with special needs from Bulgaria. Uh, Their ages are 10, 9, 8, and 7. And uh, I've been to Bulgaria six times, and she's been there four times. So I went solo a couple times to pick up the boys. Wow. It's like, it's such a heavy sentence. You're like, I'm trying to process this. Like what? If not just one, not two, not three, four. Okay. Um, So if you want to maybe just explain to us also um, specifically with your four boys, like their, um, uh, I guess, situation specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Oldest Alex uh, has Down syndrome. He's 10 years old. And then our two middle boys, John and David, they have cerebral palsy. And then our youngest, Simon, has Down syndrome as well. So we have two with uh, Down syndrome and two with cerebral palsy. And um, we've adopted all of them between the ages of three and five. So started in 2014 and brought Simon home in 2018. Wow. Okay, so we have so much to unpack, but I, I'm, I there's a lot. org chart. Yeah, I know, right? Um, what I do uh, want to, I guess, for all our listeners and viewers, um, Jeremy is de- definitely going to be, I think, one of our first uh, adoption stories. I think everything else has been interviews or just me and Claire. So uh, we're excited about this. Um, He's also our first um, adoptive parent outlook. 
So this is going to not only be an entire different facet of adoption, you're going to be a totally different outlook. Also, you're going to be a different outlook from most adoptive parents as well. I wonder. Right. That's the great thing about adoption. You guys mentioned in another episode is there's closed, there's open, there's international, uh, you know, special needs. There's all different avenues and routes that families can go to grow their family. So I just like to be a voice for um, those that have questions regarding, you know, uh, maybe a similar situation they're looking uh, to grow their family. I love that terminology as well, to grow your family. So often we've been hearing in the adoption community is that children are seen as a blank slate to fit into your family. And I love the fact that you're growing your family with pre-assembled, you know, pieces versus trying to slot them in. I I really like the way that you're, you're phrasing that, especially coming from an adoptee. Oh yeah. Absolutely. It, it makes Happy me feel day. all warm inside. <laughs> it's like, I literally, I'm literally already yeah. planning all of their Christmas presents. You're like giving yeah. me their ages. I'm like, okay, so which vendors is each? Simon sounds like he's going to be like Iron Man. I don't know. That's, like, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Of that. Absolutely. Do you um, tell us about your specific adoption stories of each of your kids? Yeah. So my wife and I went to India in 2012, uh, one summer to um, go visit orphans and, and uh, through our church and take take care of orphans and read to them and play with them and all, you know, just learn all about the Indian culture there. And uh, while we were there, um, you know, we just felt a need that we can do more. And so uh, we wanted to open our home up uh, for children. And we wanted to go the route of India. Unfortunately, um, that wasn't the case based off of our age and based off of the years of marriage. And so we decided to look, uh, outside of India and see which countries we would qualify for. Uh, I told you guys about Africa, uh, Congo specifically, and unfortunately that fell through and we were then moved to Bulgaria. Uh, and we started the process for our son, Alex, and that was about a, a year-long process to adopt him. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> in Bulgaria, there's two travel trips. The first trip you go and visit for a week. And uh, on about day three or four, you decide if you want to continue with the adoption. And uh, we definitely did. We signed all the papers saying, yes, we want to move forward with it. Flew back to the States and about six months we waited for the approval to go back and finish the paperwork and bring Alex home. So we brought him home in July of 14. And that was probably, people always ask, what's the hardest part? What was the hardest part in the adoption process? And it was that very first um, adoption because we didn't have kids at home. We weren't very busy other than our full-time jobs. And so the rest of our time, we were just sitting, waiting, wondering how he's doing. And, you know, why can't this be any faster? Because we're ready to bring him home, but we understand the paperwork has to be done and make sure that it's official. And, and so once we got that call, we jumped on a plane and went over as, as quickly as we could. Um, to bring Alex home, brought him home in 2014, uh, about a year after, um, having him home, we decided let's move forward with another adoption. And since we enjoyed Bulgaria so much, the process was very smooth. We met some great people while we were there. We love the culture and the food and the people. And so let's just, uh, stick with what we know. We got, uh, two referrals rather than one. 
And we said, if we adopt one of these little boys, the other one is not going to get adopted. Is there a way we could move forward with both of the boys at once? They're not biologically related. They weren't in any part wow. uh, near each other at all, the country. And uh, the, our adoption agency checked and they said, yeah, absolutely. Let's go. You know, we'll send it to the government and see if they approve it. They said yes. And so then we moved forward with John and David. Um, both of the boys have cerebral palsy. And their orphanage experiences were very different. John, the older of the two, um, it's he was in an orphanage that you would read about online that um, it's not very good, where they don't take care of the children very well. And there's a lot of kids and not a lot of staff. And uh, it just wasn't a very good experience for him for his first four years of his life. Mm -hmm. David, on the other hand, was in an orphanage um, that you could tell they cared for each and every one of the children and they wanted them um, to thrive either uh, in the orphanage that they're going to, to be in for however long, or once they do get adopted, that they're already set in the best way that they can um, for whatever family comes for them. And, um, we, we traveled in 2016 for John and David. Uh, and right when we got John from the difficult orphanage, we had to go straight to the ER because he was, um, dehydrated well under the way he should be. And we, we spent four days, my wife spent four days in the or in the hospital with, with John. And I spent four days in the hotel with David. And then once he was uh, healthy enough to travel back home, we all traveled home. We had three now and um, we were adjusting to life as um, parents of three kids with special needs and all that entailed. Right. And about a year later, um, <laughs> while I was with David, um, while, while, yeah, while we were with David in the orphanage for travel trip number one, I noticed his roommate uh, was a little baby with Down syndrome. And I jokingly said, if that little boy doesn't have a family and he becomes available for international adoption, let us know because I'll adopt him. Of course, two years later, <laughs> I see him on a website. Looks exactly like the kid that I said, just a couple years older. I double checked with the agency and said, yes, that he's wow. in the same hometown, the same orphanage. And um, I said, all right, well, I said, yes, we do want to continue to grow our family. Let's move forward with this little boy, Simon. Uh, and unfortunately, my wife was so busy with our three that if I was going to move forward with uh, the fourth adoption, I would need to go by myself because mm -hmm. you need home. So travel trip number one, I spent a week in Bulgaria, just Simon and I, and then travel trip number two, I brought him home. We traveled, uh, I traveled back with Simon. And so that was a fun experience and opportunity for, uh, me and Simon to grow in that time, just father, son bonding. The baby of the family. And the interest. Thing. Yeah, the baby yeah, of the so family. Hey? Interesting thing. <laughs> the baby. Yeah, he's he uh, he loves his position. He even though he's the baby, <laughs> the youngest. He he thinks he's the leader. So I already course. identify with with Simon right now. I'm getting I'm getting strong Simon vibes. I'm Team Simon. 
he's a hamster. He loves it. So uh, fun thing. Well, interesting part about that was in David and Simon's orphanage, uh, I was able to um, talk with the director there uh, of the orphanage. And she said that David and Simon were the only two boys or only children adopted out of their orphanage in the past, you know, eight years. And you're the only family, um, you know, that has been here uh, in eight years. They said before you, there was was an Italian family. And other than that, we haven't seen anybody for any of the children. And there were dozens children there and uh david and simon were the only two with special needs the rest were typical children and um so they were just really surprised that um, of all the children to be adopted it was two kids with special needs and from the same family and so i just think that's really it's it's great so maybe one day well once they're adults we could all travel back and and kind of see their stomping grounds you know brb going to bulgaria (laughs) all right um, and that is that is a really interesting topic, too. And we're going to delve into it in later episodes. The, the history of it's not necessarily a stigma, but the rarity of adoption in America in itself before the 1930s, 40s and whatnot, that adoption wasn't a prevalent thing until children started to be, I hate to say it, but marketed as commodities. And so it's just even in that, like, you know, a blank slate, like like children in America were literally being advertising Christmas ads like do you want your Christmas baby like and and there's very little difference between marketing children as dolls and whatnot and so it's even edified in the fact that you they're shocked that these that you know like your beautiful children were being you know the ones being adopted and it just shows how wonderful of an experience this has been not only for your children but for you and adoption as a whole so I, I think it's really interesting and, and I'm already picturing going to Bulgaria right now. <laughs> Speaking of which, like what is that plane plane trip itinerary look like from here? Um, so Salt Lake goes straight to Europe. I think there's six different places in Europe. And then from there, it's, it's usually a, a straight shot. So I've been to Charles de Gaulle in, in Paris and then from there straight to Bulgaria, uh, Netherlands, Amsterdam. Uh, I went through Turkey one time. So that was, oh, uh, nice. that was fun going to Istanbul. Yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't been to through England. I went through Poland one time and, uh, Poland. Was- oh, I've been to Warsaw. It's the most beautiful city. Like, oh my gosh, like amazing. Um, wow. That it's, that is, it's, it's so awesome. Like, I don't know how else to put it. And and I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, Alex and Simon are both autistic. So with Simon, you almost um, felt like, yeah. I think is one autistic and one has Down syndrome. Yeah. So I know I get confused all the time too. So Alex Sorry. and yeah. Simon both have Down syndrome, but oh, Alex, Down syndrome. he Sorry. hasn't, oh, you're fine. Uh, Alex actually has a dual diagnosis of uh, Down syndrome with uh, autism as well. Okay. So um, people people want to ask me, but they don't want to offend me. And, and I'm like, guys, I'm an open book. You know, uh, as long as you know, I'm trying to educate. But you know, go ahead and ask your question. Uh, they said, well, Alex is older. He's ten years old, and Simon is younger. He's he's seven. Uh, but it seems to me that. Um, Simon seems higher functioning. Are there different levels of cognition within 
people with Down syndrome? Like, absolutely, right? Yeah. Just like there's different levels of cognition for anybody, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like, it mm-hmm. can happen. With That's such a great way to put it. Yeah, and so, like, you know what? I'm street smart. I'm not book smart, vice versa, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, Alex, he's extremely loving and, and cuddly while Simon is just full on, you know, go, go, go the whole time. And so like, I just explained, like, we all have different strengths and weaknesses and areas we need to grow in. And and so like, Alex is just happy to be hanging out with everybody. And Simon is more what you would classify or what maybe you've seen in the movies of people with Down syndrome. So just even getting a wonderful overview of your family, it, it, it becomes abundantly clear that their alternative needs are very different. There's cognitive, there's physical needs in terms of accessibility, what resources would you recommend to other parents with children with alternative needs that are perspective or, you know, just what resources in general would you recommend to parents who are considering this avenue? There's a really strong adoption community online. Uh, and I, I've used, you know, Bulgarian adoptions, for example, within Facebook, and then I've used special needs adoption. Um, and then there's Down syndrome adoption and there's cerebral palsy adoption. And then within cerebral palsy, the more you know about the diagnosis, you can, you can find other families that, um, have children, um, with the similar needs. And that's one avenue to go. Another is, you know, to check what uh, options and uh, are, are offered through the state. And so mm-hmm. um, talking with representatives like the special education teachers or the, di- uh, the special education tr- district administrators, uh, because they have tons of resources there. Uh, the, the local universities, if you go to the departments uh, for special education, all the students are learning um, all about the different needs um, of each student and some of the the resources in the community it it seems to me that there's a lot more within a a denser population like a larger city than more of a rural area so a lot of families either live rural and drive in for services or just try to stay closer to um, the city so that they can have some of those services like speech the occupational therapy the physical therapy mm-hmm. um, and have options for their child. Well, I will say that, you know, the internet is good for something, you know, I think it totally connects people and, and there are, you know, as much as I have always just kind of been not into Facebook, I've realized now that there are just so many support groups on Facebook that you can't find on other social media platforms. So I, I think that that's really amazing. Also, Discord has become another prevalent. I would agree. Like, there's a lot of really bad stuff out there. Yeah. Uh, but um, if you can get locked into some really good groups and uh, they're they're open, they're honest, and, and they're pretty friendly too. You know, mm-hmm. that make sure that they keep it um, appropriate for the the topic, and, and you know, the the administrators within the groups, you know, will will remove anybody that needs to be removed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, we're going to kind of go back and forth between Claire and I to ask you some questions. Um, so uh, what was the driving force, if any, behind uh, pursuing the adoption of children with alter- alternative uh, needs? Absolutely. Um, so my wife and I, we met in college. We both uh, finished college with being debt-free, so we decided to start saving one income and living on the other uh, for a large purchase. and. Um, as we were uh, saving that large chunk, we decided 
uh, adoption had always been on our heart and we decided, you know, let's grow our family with adoption first and then um, move on with biological and uh, having biological children. And once we adopted one, we realized the need uh, there in that country to continue to um, open our home to other, other children. And it just kind of snowballed and continued to bring more and more children into our home. And uh, now we have four. And so uh, I don't know if we ever necessarily planned on a family of four, but uh, we're obviously as happy as we can be with, with the situation that we have. And um, it's, it's just been a great opportunity to uh, be a voice for um adoption in that in that way so special needs specifically my degree my master's degree is in adaptive physical education so i've spent hours all throughout my undergrad and my uh, graduate um, schooling for working with people with special needs and then my wife is a nurse uh, pediatric oncology and so she's always loved children and uh, we thought you know what better um what better way to serve uh children that may have medical needs than her, her skills in nursing and mine in special education. Uh, and, and that just felt like the right, um, uh, route to go for our family. Yeah. You wow. guys are like a, a super team. It's like, <laughs> I, I literally, <laughs> I'm literally sitting here thinking, it's like, what did you do between the 2014 and 2018? You're like, I actually positively impacted the lives of four children, uh, my wife and I, (laughs) and I'm like, what did I do? I painted some paintings that I didn't finish. It's like, uh, uh, I did Murph a lot of times. I don't know. (laughs) Oh man. Um, shave the back of my head. I got nothing. Okay. Well, with regards to real quick, just, uh, Bulgaria, like what, what led you or kind of got you kind of tuned into that country specifically? Yeah, we actually didn't plan on Bulgaria at first. We were looking uh, in um, Africa, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and we were actually paired with a brother and sister, a uh, five-year-old and three-year-old. And unfortunately, the the country didn't best educate families there on um, what an orphanage is and when they give their child up to the orphanage, what that means. And so once we were placed with the brother and sister, they contacted the mother to let her know that they will be adopted by Americans. And she actually went back and pulled them out of the orphanage. And so um, us and other families, it was pretty traumatic for us as well as the Congolese people that um, the the country decided to stop all um, adoptions, international adoptions, and better educate the people there in, in Africa, or excuse me, in Congo. Go, um, so that they realize when they're giving their rights away, what that truly means. And so um, that was hard for us. But our agency said, you know, based off of your age, based off of the length of marriage, uh, you still qualify for Bulgaria, Latvia, Lithuania. And so um, which country would you be interested in having your file moved to? And they said, we are struggling to find a family for this one little boy with Down syndrome, Alex, our first. And we spent two weeks talking about it, thinking about it, making sure that this would be the right route and decided to move forward with Bulgaria. So then we kind of had to look on the map and see where Bulgaria was and start learning about <laughs> the 
yeah, there, you don't hear too much about that country, but we Not learned a lot. So you were now team Bulgaria. And that is one thing that's interesting that we, even as adoptees, we hear from non-adoptees, there's things that they wouldn't have realized. But as we go through this process, Chris and I are so shocked on other types of adoption that certain countries won't adopt to certain types of people and won't adopt to you based on race, gender, how long you've been married, and that there's limitations even in our own countries and religion in North America. And you brought up a really great point as well about people not being properly um, educated and some of the stories of corruption that we've looked into, a lot of parents are being lied to and they think that they're sending their kids to a sponsorship program to never hear from them again. And that even, yeah. So it's very interesting for me to, to hear that based on your file, there's restrictions that you can only pull from countries. And it's almost like you're applying for college, which is ridiculous. Yeah, in every country, and I understand some of the regulations from each country, like uh, I know, sadly and unfortunately, Russia, because of the relations between uh, the leader, uh, the Russian president said that no American, no Russian child will ever be adopted family. Well, Americans were adoptive, uh, the number one adoptive country for international adoptions. And so unfortunately, several, you know, thousands of children from Russia are are not being adopted because so many adoptions occur from the States. You know, another uh, regulation was India, for example, the the age for a a family to adopt, they both had to be 35 years old, uh, husband and wife. And so um, a younger family, like we started adopting, I believe I was 27 and she was 25. And so uh, we would have to wait for a, 10 years before we could qualify for India. And so that just leaves not a very big window for a lot of families to adopt. And the fact that you just like reiterated that she was 25 and adopting, starting to adopt, creating a family of six. I'm 33. No, no, at 25. No, I I was not mature enough to even take care of myself. Well, no, I take that back. I take that that back. (laughs) I, I think I was 25 when I started when I opened my gym, but even then, like not at any mental headspace, financial heads or place to even think about that. So I, it's just amazing. It's truly amazing. So. Thank you. Yeah. So onto our next question, what are the most challenging aspects of parenting in your family? Uh, I would say communication between the two of us. And um, we both have, I guess we're, we're both type A personality, so we have a pretty strong structure. It, it's taken a few years, uh, and then every time you add on another adoption or bring another child into the family, the whole schedule kind of goes out the window, and you have to relearn the schedule again, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, we adopted our first in 2014. Uh, 2016, we adopted two at one time, and that's a pretty fun wow. story. And then at 2018, uh, we, we brought home our fourth. And so right when we had kind of uh, a smooth sailing, you know, yeah. like we got that itch again and got the idea like, oh, we actually are doing all right. There's another kid out there that can really benefit from a loving home. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we can we do this? And so uh, we're right past that two year mark now, um, with our fourth and, you know, we have our schedule down. We, we, you know, we both are very physically active. We both eat really well. We handle our stresses. And so, 
um, you know, now we're just enjoying the life that we have with four in our home. Wow. Yeah. Chris, we can never complain about our schedules ever again. No, no, not at all. It makes me now feel kind of bad about me saying to one of my relatives or one of my brothers, I'm like, I'm so busy and I got so much going on. And yeah, You're this not. is, yeah, I, I not know compared to Jeremy. No, I got nothing going on compared to Jeremy. So, um, th- yeah. And even just talking to people that have, you know, relatives, uh, friends, you know, one or two kids are like, oh, you know, two and done. They don't have any issues. So to think that, you know, you went in knowing, I, I was telling Ron actually at the gym today, I said, Hey, we're interviewing Jeremy. And I said, that guy needs to be like canonized or sainthood or something because, uh, no, he's a better person than me. I, I, I just will be honest and upfront about that. And yeah, like he's a saint. So um, I don't again. take that very well. I'll say thank you, but it's hard for me to, you know, because I for know our listeners like, right now, he's turning really red. <laughs> he's smiling. He's covering his face with his hands. Uh, yeah, I, I just Chris no, is I'm awkwardly just, I, scratching uh, his head. Men I'm, showing emotions. Everybody, yeah, here we yeah, go. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of sweating. I'm like, huh, okay, um, I'm fine. Yeah. I feel great. I, let's bask in it. Let's bask in this. <laughs> um. So, but yeah, it's just, uh, you know, the more I I asked Ron about it, and I don't think Ron knows so much, but uh, what he did tell me it was just. Even before this interview, I, I'm still trying to digest it, you know, and it, it's just really amazing. I just forget the fact, like, it, it's our normal, but for mm-hmm. others, it's like, how on earth do you do that? It's, it's kind of like when I heard you have jobs, like, my jaw yeah. drops, like, how on earth can you balance having four jobs? <laughs> That's amazing that you're able to have the bar or, you know, like, I just look at different people that, you know, can do amazing things like wake up day in and day out and go to the gym and take care of their family and go to work and and all this stuff. And like, um, it's cool that, you know, you look, you you might be inspired by me or wowed by me, but you know, I do the same thing for you or for anybody else. Like, don't forget the fact that, you know, how, how influential you are to other people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's definitely, you know, that idea of everything is relative. Um, but, uh, yeah. What has been the biggest reward of creating your family? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Um, probably just seeing the, the joy of them being in a family and just realizing like, yeah, they may look different or they may do di- things differently, but this is the, the family that we have set up and, and the joy that they have with eat, eating together a meal with a family or, you know, wrestling, just the, the small things that are in and out that people might take for granted or, or don't realize. Uh, I, I remember just community to children that may never have had that, that chance. Um, it, it's been a lot of fun. So people get, it may be, it's so hard. Like, how do you, how do you deal with a, a kid in a wheelchair? You know, well, I don't look at it as a kid in a wheelchair. I look at it as a child, my child. And, you know, maybe we can't do this, but we can definitely do this. So let's do this and enjoy it, you know? So. Um, what do you wish, if anything, that you could tell people that you often hold back from saying? <laughs> oh man. That's a spicy one. <laughs> I tend to hold my tongue as much as possible uh, just because 
you know, I don't know where everyone's coming from yeah. and I, I give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, and, and they may not know some of the terminology or some of the, the changes that have been made within the culture to, um, to really keep uh, people, you know, to, to give equality among all different groups of people. Mm-hmm. And, and so I try to be patient with and best lovingly explain to them um, some of the phrases I think um, that may have been used at some point that isn't used anymore. Uh, be- mm-hmm. Yeah. So like the R word, uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of it. And most of the, most of the people in my circles aren't either, but every once in a while I still hear it and it's like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. <laughs> It literally like my my head snaps like this. It's just like if you want to find me anywhere, just say that word, and I'm like, "Yep, yep, agreed." And I'm ready to probably hate to say it, but fist fight you. <laughs> exactly. Like, do I have the time and energy and effort, and do I need to be the voice every single time for that? Do I let it slide, mm-hmm. or you know what I mean? Like, just you got to because- pick your battles, kind of thing. You know, it's so- like, yeah, yeah. And that's another thing, too, that people don't realize and and often I find that's prevalent in our society that with different groups, minority groups, whether it's like, like, you know, ethnic, whether it's, you know, feminist, gender, uh, alternative needs, it is not your responsibility to educate people who aren't otherwise understanding. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes people will feel as though they're doing a great thing by being like, well, you teach me, but you don't need to teach them. You can point them in the direction of resources, um, but it is not your responsibility to teach people how to people. Yeah. Yeah. But you'd be surprised. I mean, sometimes people are people and sometimes people are the worst, (laughs) you know? And and that's also true. yeah. 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 Even like the, the racist stuff I get on online, people always say, you know, they want me to kind of educate them on that. And it's just like, look, that's that's not, no, like you need to kind of do your due diligence and do some research and educate yourself. And even myself, like, I think there, for all of us, we, there's always room to grow and learn, but unfortunately I think some people, especially, I mean, look, the pandemic, I think people are so kind of hunkered down that you could totally miss out on all sorts of stuff, you know? Um, yeah. Not that that's an excuse, but definitely um, I, that, it kind of goes back to just thinking of you as an individual and, and, and the, the amount of patience you must have, or you're just really good at like, kind of just like, like you said, biting your tongue and just saying, woosa, woosa type of thing, and just kind of taking a deep breath. Um, I, I, I would assume that you would kind of get to a point where you kind of master those moments where you know when to interject and when to not engage type of thing. And reading the room and like viewing that not everyone is even owed your story. That's a huge thing that we've, we've learned with adoptees and adoptive families, people who are non-adoptees. And this is just a teachable moment for, for people, though you find out somebody is adopted or they might have an alternative need or whatnot, just because it's different from you doesn't mean it's your right to learn about it. And if that person isn't emotionally ready to tell you, then kind of back off. Right? Like, you know, even your story, it's it's very special and it's wonderful. But just because it's different, it's not like, you know, you're I don't want to it's not I don't know how to phrase it properly. Well, I like how Jeremy phrased it as it's not a kid in a wheelchair. You know, where a lot of yeah. people view that they just hyper focus on the wheelchair. It's like, oh man, look, it's a wheelchair. And it's like, look, 
the focus is a living being here person. That's it just, that is just an extension of them. Like mm-hmm. why, why do we got to like make it weird? You know, like you with your tattoos, like people automatically just like, Oh man, this guy must be this, that, and whatever. But all the time. Uh, I, how many questions, uh, are, are, are you in a gang? Uh, have you been to prison? Like all these questions just based on just tattoos and what people think of tattoo culture, you know? And Ironically, obviously I've been to prison. Really? What? No. Oh God. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait, wow. There's so much I don't know about Claire. <laughs> um, but it, it's going back to that idea that some people are still kind of stuck in these dark ages of, you know, you know, what people think about certain things nowadays. And, you know, times are changing. You know, I think it's it's important to try to keep your finger on the pulse with what's going on, you know. And and honestly, just me personally, like I don't know much about this community just because it is a little intimidating. It is like I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't know how to act. I don't know, you know, like what's what is the decorum, you know? And and so because I that because of my insecurities, I don't engage. And I think that that's kind of not right, you know? And I think that that's why I'm, I was so excited to talk to you because I want to kind of immerse myself more into this community. Right. I mean, a lot of people don't have a whole lot of experience with uh, people with special needs. And so it, it's a great opportunity for me. I, I get this more often, uh, which I never thought would happen, but I get other parents that say, hey, could we do a play date so that my kids can have a better understanding and, and kind of learn from your kids and realize like, Hey, you know, like there are some kids that use walkers or some kids in a wheelchair or mm-hmm. that may not talk and things like that. And I, absolutely. Let's bring them together. It's, it's more than fine. You know, and it's, it's beautiful to see, you know, that, it's a that's, great- a, that's awesome because that normalizes it. I think that that's what, that's what, that's kind of ultimately what we're doing with this podcast is we're trying to normalize adoption in general because it's such a taboo topic. It's things people don't like discussing because there's lots of trauma there. It's lots of, as you just said, there's so many moving parts with your kids and how you adopted them in the process. Um, it, it, it's it's like you, you shouldn't just feel dizzy just thinking about it and you lived it, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's amazing. I think that that's great to, yeah, definitely have kids that to expose them to your kids because- you know, you don't want them to grow up never having ever seen someone that has special needs, you know, and that that would just be like just I mean, one thing I would say for any parents that are listening right now, a wonderful, great resource and a wonderful way to help your children make the world better. I was a part of a program called Best Buddies in in high school. Best Buddies is a really great program. What it does, it match or matches children who have alternative uh, needs with children who are within the general populace of the high school. It's really great for both ends because for children who have alternative needs, it teaches them how to interact and it breaks down the barrier on both sides. They So when I was in it, it was really great. Once a week, we would talk on the phone. We didn't really text back then, but I bet now we would, I'd add them on TikTok or whatever. It, oh, you what, FaceTime, you could FaceTime, Snapchat, yeah. yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, and so you do, you would engage in them. And, and it, at first you're given, it was really great, these rigorous, you know, instructions. And then you have them come out with your friends and you do events. But then it became a thing where my best buddy and I still, he's my favorite friend on Instagram. Like I find that his, his, his content is way better than anything else other than Chris's, <laughs> but, um, best buddies and having your children and even just involving yourself in a lot of these really worthy causes. So I think 
If anyone has any questions for us, we'll put our email at the end and questions for you about resources. And this can be an ongoing conversation. Uh, what has raising your children taught you about life? Um, patience. Absolutely. So that we, we have a schedule and we stick to it as best we can, but obviously, um, things don't always go to plan. Right. <laughs> so in, uh, I guess in nursing, they have something called triage where you have to decide what's the, the yeah. thing that needs to be handled first. And so sometimes when you have four kids, you have milk spilled over here, crying over here, a dirty diaper over here and something else going on. And then you have to pause for a second, take a deep breath and realize, okay, what is the most important thing that needs to be handled immediately and go from there. And uh, just realize like you can, you can have a plan, but you, you're not always going to stick to that plan. And so just uh, be patient and, and realize like, you're doing the best you can, you know, and they're, they're happy, they're eating, they're sleeping, they're, they're in a home. So like, it may not be ideal or like the, what, you know, you want 100% of the time, but you have to realize like that they're safe and they're loved. And so, you know, if, if they're in a home like that, then, you know, that's great. That's that's an, the analogy with what's been going on, too. It's really good. Yeah, I think a lot of parents beat themselves up that they're not doing enough or that their house or life isn't perfect, right? And, and just to realize, like, even if you still had everything 100% in order, like, it, it's okay. Like if things, if there's always going to be laundry, there's always going to be dirty dishes, you know, there, there's, it's never complete. So just kind of enjoy the process mm -hmm. of little things rather than like, Oh, once I have all this done, then I'll be happy. Try to enjoy each step throughout the way. So. Yeah. That, that, that's just a life lesson. I think like that's, that's, yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. And the analogy too, that I've been told is that when you're in a situation, when you're throwing multiple balls in the air, if all of the balls were to fall at once, which two would you grab? And like, those are the two most important things, right? And then the two that you consistently grab. Um, and that leads into our next question. Um, and I think it's something that, you know, parents struggle with in general. Um, but I think that you knowing what you want best for your children, what plans do you and your wife have in place for the future to protect your children throughout their life? Um, so my wife and I care a lot about our health. And so we want to stay as healthy as possible for as long as possible. So the choices that we make day in and day out, um, we're just considering this a long-term investment in our, our own personal health, health and wellness so that we can be the best parents we can for our children right now when they're 50 pounds um, and 10 and under or 10 years from now when they're, you know, early adults and, and then so on. And so uh, we, we value the time that we have at the gym. Uh, we spend a little bit more on food than, uh, you know, the average person, but we want to make sure the food is good quality. And so that we're, we're fueling our bodies with what's necessary. We make sure that we get enough sleep um, so that we can function day in and day out. And 
you know, we handle our stresses the best ways uh, we can uh, for, for us, it's, it's at the gym and, and getting the stress out and having that social interaction with the uh, adults and the classes that we attend. And so we, we do put a lot of investment in our own personal health and wellness so that we can be the best parents we can be day in and day out. So. In terms of um, making sure that your children are taken care of no matter what, are there things in place that you guys have considered? Because I know that you probably have had to think about this a little bit more pragmatically versus some other parents. You need to have things in place. like So things, for example, the roommate program. Um, so for Chris and those who may not know, there's a wonderful different variations around the world, but the roommate program, it's where your child, if possible, can gain some independence and they live with a roommate. It's someone oh, who who has yep. been, yeah, who's been trained and then it, it winds up being a wonderful partnership. So are there programs in place that you've looked at that perhaps other parents would find interesting or? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I should probably tell you that what I do for work is I'm an adaptive PE teacher at a special needs school. And so uh, oh, wow. I, I run the program there and there's a hot tub and there's a pool that's accessible and, and uh, all the students receive um, aquatic therapy and you know whether it's it's for sensory needs for kids with autism or uh, those that are very really tight with cerebral palsy uh, can give them massages and stretch them out um, physical therapy comes in there and, and works in the pool as well with some of the students uh um, swimming skills for uh, those just for, for safety in the pool, uh, recreational, all, all different areas. And three of my boys actually attend the school. Um, and so I'm able to see them at school as well. But uh, as the students progress and uh, the families move on from elementary into middle and high school, then the, the staff and, and secondary start to educate the parents about options for later on in life and transitioning from uh, being a high school student into being an adult and there's life skills training. So um, you and I would graduate high school at 18 in Utah, they can go until 22 and uh, kids with IEPs and, and continue to learn those life skills. So whether it's uh, taking public transportation, um, working, um, or, uh, living on their own. We have an apartment there in the school where they learn to, you know, do the laundry, make their bed, a shower schedule, all these different opportunities for children uh, and young adults to be able to learn some of the, the skills, the life skills so that they can, um, do as best as they can, uh, once they're, they're done at 22. So that's, that's amazing. so cool educators there have the resources that hand out to the parents and most uh, school districts, the special education department has um, either social social workers or people in the administrative level that have the, what the state has there for uh, people with special needs. Well, that's, it's, that's nice to know that those systems are in play because I, I, again, I didn't even know this stuff existed. Like, this is great. Um, Sometimes they, they, you get a diagnosis right at birth, you get your child and then the doctor and shares, you know, you know, the, the delivery was smooth. Uh, I'd just like you to know that your child has down syndrome. And, and then 
maybe uh, the mother has never heard or known anybody or know anything about Down syndrome. And so they're like, here's some brochures, here's some information about that. But uh, just the emotional um, roller coaster of, I have to learn so much more and just to, to remind families that um, you don't have to know everything day one. You're going to learn it along the process. So me with a, a seven-year-old, like I, I still have 10 years of learning before uh, they, they're going to become an adult. So, yeah. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, what can we teach children to make the world more accessible for your children? I guess it, it depends on the child, right? <laughs> yeah. So like some of the kids that I've seen at the, right. They, they are just so excited to see and wave and, and talk to my children. Others, maybe they've never been around that. So I think a, a lot of it comes back to the parent and uh, the parent educating the child in some way, like realizing, Hey, not every child looks like you not every child walks like you um and, and uh likes the things that you may like and so let's be respectful and um you know just teaching them the basic you know golden rule skills i guess yeah, for yeah. all people right it's just just to respect the differences like uh some may like one sport while may like another one team and another team but you can still be friends and yeah. and learn from yeah. Yeah. So it's really more just exposure at the end of the day, you know, for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. What are some <clears throat> things that you've found that you enjoy about having your children with all different alternative needs? Like some, some things that you're like, Oh, this is actually amazing. Yeah. Um, their, their contentment with, with life. Uh, I've seen some typical children that get really upset over, some things that my, my children would never even, that would never bother them. So like some of my boys will play with a toy that, um, you know, they could play with all day while others, you know, they get bored after a video game or after a movie and what's the next thing. And, and for my boys, they're just content with, you know, swinging on a swing or, uh, you know, throwing a ball and, and the fact that, um, they're just genuinely, happy throughout the day and, and some parents think you know or forget the fact that like you know the simple the simple things in life are are, are just beautiful yeah it, it's it's your kids sound like they are truly in all ways shapes and forms like living in the moment and i think that that is something that all people like why do you think headspace and all these meditation apps exist because we as you know high functioning people cannot do that. You know, we are so distracted. We are always attracted to drama and just like, like you said, just our attention spans are, are short. And that's, that's amazing that they can really live in the moment. And, and, and I, I wish I could be in the moment more, you know, but my mind is always over all over the place. So I, I that's, that's really cool. Um, yeah. One of my friends got me a book, uh, Ferdinand the bull. And I never read that. And I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> My son Alex, and uh, that—that's exactly how Ferdinand in the in the book, like he's just happy to be under this tree and smelling the flower. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I was like, "This is totally Alex. Like he could." <laughs> that's that's like me swing. too. Yeah, 
you know, there's all this other stuff going on in the world and he doesn't even, it doesn't even bother and phase him because he's happy with the swing that he has or the ball that he has. And, and if I could just have the joy and in the day in and day out that he has, you know, yeah, it's a gift that he has for sure. That's my favorite book too. And I feel like that's me as well. Curtis, we've talked about how I can be happy with whatever. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, um, what, I mean, minus the, the obviously glaring struggles that your kids uh, have to, you know, endure, um, what other struggles do they have to kind of face due to their alternative needs? Right. So, um, uh, we adopted all between three and five years old, so we don't have a lot of history of their, their developmental years and the trauma that was, um, maybe, on them in in that institution and so some things trigger them and we don't even realize it until it's too late and we're like what is going on what what just happened like if a song comes on or you know a, a pictures that they may see like we're really sorry we don't know what occurred uh for those first three years of your life but just move on we're going to move from there and try to you know realize that we won't play that song anymore or, or we're not going to say those words like uh john right we we changed we changed his name but one day i decided let's say his his name that they had in the orphanage and when i said that name his eyes got big and he was super scared and uh, i was like okay i'm never saying that name around him anymore because he was mm -hmm. terrified and um and so just learning that as a parent like an adopted parent like there's gonna be some baggage of you know um the institutionalization or simon for example he was the youngest in the orphanage i was like where is he picking up Oh, he probably, they probably were doing this or messing with him or ch telling him to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and so working through that, you know, and uh, just being okay with like, this is where we're starting and mm -hmm. it's not his fault. And we'll just work through this however long it takes. So. And, and with regards to their medical history, like you li literally weren't giving anything, like it was just kind of like, just, there was no records, zero. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Not a whole lot of, we did like, know if uh, like 50% of people with Down syndrome have uh, heart defects and mm -hmm. Simon had heart surgery. So that was on his medical report is that he, he had heart surgery or like the age, um, their, their height and weight or length mm -hmm. and weight and, and all that, you know because all the boys were well underway when they were born. So like, we don't know the history of the mom or, or, or any of that stuff. So we just kind of like, well, they still need a family and we're more than happy to just start where we can and just go from there. Yeah. And I think you're approaching it in such a different and almost like altruistic way of realizing that your children are going to come with baggage and triggers in that, other adoptive parents don't consider that. I think that even even from a standpoint of an adoptee, and I don't have, you know, this history. I was in, in in a different country, in an institution, and whatnot, and I come with tons of baggage. And so the fact that you assess each child individually, and you're tailoring your home and your your behavior to allow that child to process and be so successful, I just think that is one of a huge lesson for perspective and current adoptive parents. And I think it's really great for you to come 
come at this that you are viewing this as your your children's story. This is their story and their needs, and you're really putting them them first. And it, it just I think that's something that I would like all of us to learn for each other, not even just. No, yeah, and I think a lot of adoptive parents feel that, or it's hard for them to accept that adoptees have trauma. You know, all mm-hmm. adoptees, in my opinion, have trauma, and and a lot of adoptive parents have reached out and said, you know, this this upsets me to hear this because I have an adoptive kid. And I'm like, look, this this is not about upsetting you. Um, this doesn't mean that you're not a good parent. You just need to understand mm-hmm. that, like, we all are products of a circumstance, and. As long as you can communicate that and have a conversation about it, that's a step forward, um, you know. But but to kind of flip it and say, you know, what does this say about me as a parent? Like you said, parents can sometimes be really tough on themselves. Um, it's not really about the parent so much. It's just acknowledging it uh, and working through it rather than just ignoring it, you know. Because I think too mm-hmm. often adoptees we just ignore these things, and myself included, have suppressed yeah. so much that I didn't realize until doing birth parent search and doing these things that I realized, holy smokes, like I, I, I'm, I'm broken in so many ways and I thought I was doing well, but you know, and it's not a bad thing. Like I think too often we, uh, you know, too, p- people think like, oh, trauma, that's a bad, I mean, yes, yes, it's not great, but it can, it could be used as a positive. We can, we can turn these negative things into positives, you know? And I think that that's the point of this also is just owning our adoption stories and not hiding them and not being ashamed of them or not talking about them because, you know, we all need to heal as adoptees. And the only way to do that is to have a conversation about it. And it, and it also just on that vein too, um, it's even scientific. There's been research done that adoptees are more predisposed to things like addiction, mood disorders, um, attachment mental disorders, yeah. mental health issues. And that when you have these predispositions as well, as well, you don't have the medical records. I just recently went through a situation where I have no answers because I have no medical records, mm-hmm. you know, sorry, no family history. Family and history. so now and I've, I've done all that as I've exhausted all of my resources other than finding my birth parents, which to me is just, you know, and, and so for people like me, I'm lucky enough that I can, you know, petition through my government to get these records. And I see situations like you, your families and Chris's and you, you don't have that luxury, mm-hmm. right? There's no, you know, it's just, it's amazing. Um, what languages or behaviors should society avoid that are negative to your child or condescending? Yeah. Um, like, like I said before, I'm, I'm patient with people because I've used those terms before and um, you know, I was ignorant to the fact that this was pretty offensive to folks and, and those that I've loved, I've, I've had to correct and, and lovingly share, this is why. And so, uh, one of the things, uh, that, um, I try, I try to educate is like, oh, you know, are you going to have your own children? And I was like, well, they are my children. I think, I think what you mean is, are we, are we going to have any biological children? Right. And, and um, Sometimes I feel like saying, well, that's really none of your business if I can or can't or if my wife can or can, can't mm-hmm. because that's a pretty serious, you know, yeah. topic, a, a stranger just to ask like my wife's reproductive ability or my reproductive yeah. ability or both of ours. Uh, but, you know, I, I try to keep it light, like, oh, you know, I think four is pretty busy enough <laughs> as is. So, you know, like 
maybe one day if we decide to move forward, you know, we'll definitely let everybody know kind of thing. Uh, but I, I usually share like, you know, lightly like, oh yeah, they're all of our children. These ones are just adopted. Maybe we'll now decide to have biological children. So it's like, oh yeah, yeah, of, of course they're your children. But I meant like your biological, you know, do you want to have your biological children i was like yeah yeah you know we'll see like there's still time i guess sort of thing so just clarifying like just because they're adopted they're they're ours like you know and we're theirs so of course yeah uh, it's it, to me i again i am very reactive i'm very confrontational but like even just hearing people say oh yeah yeah, yeah that's what i meant it's like no that's not what you meant because that's not what you said think about what you're about to say before you speak. You know, it's like those moments where I'm like, probably shouldn't have said it like that or whatever. But yeah, I think your approach is definitely much better. And I, I think that you go back with my wife and we joke about, you know, oh, did, you wouldn't believe what this lady had the <laughs> <laughs> something. So, you know, we, we definitely have a, a, a time to bounce back and just, you know, like laugh about it. So, yeah. My friend and I play what we call like ignorance bingo. Sometimes we're like, guess what? Guess what? I got this card. Like you, I got this slot. Another terminology too, since we're on the vein of education for people, please stop saying real. You know, like I, I, my adoptive mother's not a hologram. Yeah. Um, she's like, you know, like there's not, what is, what is real? Like, are you know, like people are like, do you know your real mom? It's like, huh? but that's what I love about shows. Like, have you seen atypical? Yeah. Oh, you have you seen it, Jeremy? No, I haven't. I've heard it's on Netflix, right? Yeah, it's amazing. It's so and then like things like Modern Family and like The New Norm, like there's all these shows that are just showing that there is no more normal. Like what is normal now, you know? Normal really is blended. And that's kind of, you know, what I see normal as, you know? Yeah. And also making jokes like everyone's like oh you're probably adopted. If people can just stop making those jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And like being in and, and like I'm sorry, Hollywood, if you could stop making adoption as a negative twist, like I'm adopted yeah. <gasps> yeah. for shame. Like yeah. just stop. It's, you know, sorry to cut you off, but. It's beautiful of a thing to, you know, just run into the mud like that. You know? you know, not everyone is, is built the same. Right. So when people make jokes and, you know, even, even on inventors are like, he's adopted. I'm like, okay. That's like, I was just like, Oof, that's going to rock the boat a little bit for some people, for sure. Um, How can medical, educational, and other civil servant individuals be more supportive of people with alternative needs? Um, Education, right, Uh, and exposure, like we've said before. But, um, yeah, I I think uh, within the curriculum, I think the the ability to um, maybe shadow or go observe – within uh, a community. So at our school, uh, rotations for physical therapy and occupational therapy, a lot of the students come through to see what we do uh, and be able to work with a population that definitely can benefit from it because not everybody in physical therapy is going to be working with athletes the entire time. They're going to be working with all different populations. And so um, the one of the physical therapists at my gym uh, with was like you know one of the greatest 
rotations that I had was at a special needs school because it really caused me to think about each and every individual and, and what is necessary for them to be able to live the longest, healthiest life that they can live. Right. And so uh, he's like, it's opened my eyes up to a whole nother population and, and um, you know, a whole different field within physical therapy that I had never considered. And it was interesting because I talked to the physical therapist at my school and she was like, you know, uh, orthotics and, and, and chairs and all this, that's my specialty. I can't even, I'd have to go back to school to learn working with, you know, somebody who's 100%, you know, functioning really well. And, and that's just a whole different area of, of study. So, mm-hmm. so out of your boys though, like who is, uh, like, who's the most, like, like the biggest personality that's really extroverted in their own way? Yeah. So John, uh, in the chair, uh, he, he is a big flirt and, uh, <laughs> he runs the school there. He, he has a power chair. So he drives that thing around and waves to everybody and winks. Oh, and, that's you know, amazing. <laughs> oh, it, he's just, yeah, he's, he could be the mascot or the president of the school, you know, and, <laughs> and Simon is the most vocal. He, uh, He's he's Simon's been learning English for two two years now, and so he's been picking up words here and there. And uh, he, he definitely runs the show. Even though he's the youngest, he's the largest and has the has a huge personality. And so he wants to let us know if one of the one of his brothers isn't doing what they should be doing. And so he continually comes back and lets us know. And That's he's amazing. <laughs> so, and that's another thing too is that English isn't their first language. Right. So they've heard Bulgarian only for the first four years. And so when we did the school assessments or like, you know, realize they've only heard English for a year or two years or, or, or however. So the more you, you speak to them, you know, they're going to continue to pick up on all these, all these terms. And then it's going to, it's going to take a little bit, but once they have it down, you know, like it, it may not be as cognitive as you think. It may just be like, they they're still learning what that means. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, my brothers and I obviously only heard a Korean for the first year and a half or so of our lives. And so when we got to the States, I remember we had severe speech impediments because we were learning English. And I remember we were in like a ESL class for like a year or two. I don't remember anything that was said in that class or taught. I just remember they would teach us by saying, if you get this right, you get an M&M. So my brothers and I are sitting at this table and it was this competition. Who could get the most M&Ms? I could not tell you what they had us do. I just remember these M&Ms. And I was just like, I just want more M&Ms. So I'm going to say it how they want me to say it. And that's all I remember. But yeah, that's what I think a lot of people don't realize also with transracial adoptions and like from other countries, that that is also another kind of roadblock. Uh, especially if you're getting a child that's a little older or, you know, has been listening mm-hmm. to a certain language for so long. So. Absolutely. And, and uh, three out of our four, four boys are nonverbal. And uh, a lot of the questions that I get is, you know, do your boys talk and, and light, you know, lightly and lovingly, I explain, Oh, I talk enough for all four of them, but <laughs> Simon talk. And so, but they definitely, let me know what they want in their own special way. Like mm-hmm. John has a horn on his chair. Or he raises his hand, right. Or Alex will take my hand and pull me around to the house to, for different things, you know? And so 
they may not be verbal, but they're definitely getting what they need to get across in a certain way. And we're going to continue to work on being able to communicate in their own special way. But seeing that it's my wife and I who communicate the most with them, uh, once we kind of learn it, then we can also teach the circle that is... Yeah, you're you're develop you're developing your own language, which is like amazing. I think that that's like you know, it's almost like this uncanny superpower that you can just communicate without using words, which is you know obviously not easy. But you guys are around each other so much, you kind of build that 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 power. That's 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 beautiful. Simon sounds so sassy. I'm so excited to. I hope I hope we get to meet him when uh, you know all of the kids. They all sound so cool. In what way do you believe that your day to day routine differs from other parents' routines? Well, that's a good question. Um, uh, I think the amount of assistance each child needs. So, um, all our boys are in diapers still. Remember, they're age ten, nine, eight, and seven. Um, brushing teeth, like putting clothes on. Um, all of those require, um, assistance from, well, I'm, I'm assuming, and we don't have any, uh, typical children, uh, but I'm assuming that some 10 year olds and nine year olds can probably dress themselves and brush their teeth and feed themselves. So, uh, just the amount of assistance that each one needs. And so that, that can be scary to some families, uh, realizing, but for us, it's just another way to be able to serve, you know, our, our children and give them the best life that they can give. And so it, it may seem mundane or repetitive, you know, but finding the joy in, in that process, right. And, and realizing, you know, um, right now they may not be doing it, but in a few years, they might be independent in that, in that, um, in that certain task. But if they're not, we've enjoyed it for so many years already that we'll just continue to do that. So, cause. And, 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 and touching back on what we were saying earlier, but I think your kids are also in their own ways, teaching both of you to be more present. And I think that that's mm-hmm. just so amazing to me, like so amazing. Yeah. It's um, definitely a biotic relationship between the two of us is, like, you know, we're giving them the opportunity to, you know, to work on, on uh, pottying or, you know, toileting. But really, it's it's working on our patients and, and our, our being in the moment, like you're saying. And so um, people are like, oh, you know, I've, I've they spend a lot more time, you know, maybe watching TV or sports or, or doing things that you know, we might not be able to get to do, but we, we get to be with our boys and they realize their reliance upon us and and the need that we have. So we have this great closeness within our family. So that's amazing. All right. Uh, if other parents are setting up a play date for children with alternate needs, what are things they should ask or consider? Um, a lot of what I've noticed is, is sensory needs is a really big thing. And um, children, uh, you know, with, you know, lights might be too bright or sounds might be too loud. Or if if length of time, maybe like you, you plan on an hour, but it's only, it may only last for 20 minutes and, and being OK with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because 
um, sometimes kids can only handle a certain amount. So like, for example, uh, I, I took my boys, I wanted to take them to a university of Utah basketball game. And, uh, I thought, you know, well, it would probably be better to start them off on something maybe not as energetic and, and see how they handle it. And so I, we went to, um, you know, like a high school basketball game and, and where there's not as many people. And if they handle that, then maybe go to the community college and, and see how they handle a larger crowd. And then so on a women's basketball and then maybe a men's basketball from there. Same thing. Like one of our boys, John loves hockey. And so, uh, some yeah. people at the gym, their kids, so goes, yeah, exactly. Right. Go Canada. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, we thought, Welcome John. I'll take <laughs> we'll start with peewee hockey and, you know, because, uh, he, he's really enjoyed like the mighty ducks movies. And, and then if uh, that works, who doesn't, I mean, come on, quack, 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 Mr. Ducksworth, yeah. quack, quack, quack. Exactly. And then maybe one day we'll move to, you know, the professional level and, and be able to watch those games. But, um, We'll just myself. they handle it and how long yeah. they can they can really you know in, enjoy that full game maybe it's only half the game so so spoiler alert right now for atypical fast forward 30 seconds mm. if you don't want to be have it ruined um on that show the girlfriend of the protagonist sam she actually organizes an entire dance with the silent dance with the headphones so that yep. her boyfriend can come to the dance so that has been something too, that's been a really interesting. Yeah. So you really do need to watch it. It's pretty, pretty great. Also, if you like penguins, watch that show. I lo- that's my, that's my spirit animal. Like, yeah. Um, well, you know, this has been so wonderful and I think, um, you know, I just want to thank you for sharing all of this because this is all very personal and yeah. I think, uh, just like anything else, you know, with topics like this and adoption in general, like the point of all this is to have the conversations and to open up and and be a little vulnerable, um, but more importantly, to educate, to bring awareness to things that people don't think about, you know, so. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I, I absolutely love to be a voice for my family. And I, I also want to like reiterate that um, this is just our family and our experience, right? Like somebody's international adoption may be completely different. So mm-hmm. don't base uh, um, how your adoption may go if you're looking for an, a Bulgarian adoption or a, a special needs adoption or, or anything based off of ours because every story is completely different. And so just be patient with the, you know, with your own story, right? Uh, as much as you can to look back and reflect. This is why I love coming on podcast and sharing with it because it, it brings me back to those memories of going back to Bulgaria or, or meeting Alex for the first time or spending that week where it was just Simon and I, you know, exploring Bulgaria together and, um, you know, all the different stories that uh, come on. So thanks for having a show like this so that I can just reflect back on all the great memories that I've had with my boys. And one, one thing, um, also, I know Claire doesn't know this, but uh, if you want to share your Instagram handle, which I love. Bucket of Bulgarians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I first saw it, I was like, what does that have to, what, what's going on? And then I saw his page. I was like, that is really cute. Like, I I love that. <laughs> like. <laughs> 
I've, I'm always asked, you know, where do you come up with any bucket of Bulgarians? Well, one Christmas, uh, we had a secret Santa and every single day they would drop off a, a present for the boys, knock on the door and, you know, open the door and there's, you know, toys or outfits or blankets or something for them. Well, on the final day, which was Christmas Eve, uh, we get a knock on the door and open it. And there's this guy there. I've never, I don't even know who he is. And he's like, I, I'm not the secret Santa. You know, I, <laughs> you're just like, <laughs> yeah, I own Madsen Cycles. And the person that wants to, uh, th- that's your secret Santa wanted to gift this $2,500 bike to you. And it's got a giant bucket on the back. It seats four children, you know, and uh, <laughs> wow. it has a so like he brought it out to me, you know, we're just thrilled. The kids, we put all the kids in the, you know, in the bike and uh, ride all around. And so I changed my, my, uh, handle from, you know, some basic Jeremy name to, you know, bucket of Bulgarians. Jeremy I thought, 0722. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I thought, you know what, let's make my account more about my children and, and, you know, the experiences they have riding around in the, the bike. And so, all throughout the neighborhood will go to the, you know, the park or the playground or the pool and, you know, always riding the bike around, ringing the bell and waving to neighbors and stuff. And so it's just a fun time for our family just to go all around. I mean, all, all your photos on your Instagram page of your boys, I mean, you can just see just how happy they are, you know? And I, I think that that's one thing that I, I just resonates every time I see a post. I'm like, man, those kids just look happy, you know, and that's, it's, it's great. Um, and, and I've gotten some flack from social media about this and, and it's fine. But the, the, the thing is like, it's, it's my account and I, I want to put my best foot forward for my children. And the last thing that I want was to ever throw them under the bus for anything. And so like people are like, you, you know, your accounts in not real of real life. And I'm like, well, whose Instagram is like, why are you held to those standards? Instagram like- is all about showing like the the only the good parts and not showing the true. I like, mean, what? Who's who said that? I'm sorry. I, like, I, I want to know who said that. I want to know who said no, that. No, you don't. <laughs> you I'm don't want to know who. It. Like, yeah, I could show the really really hard days, you know, and things like that. But you know, people should realize like everybody's gonna have hard days here and there, and mm-hmm. and like I don't. I don't need to put that out there because there are other accounts that do that. And so mm-hmm. I thought, you know what, people like to smile. They like to laugh. And so positivity, yeah. life lighthearted. Right. And you know, there, there's other accounts that you can follow that maybe are, are more negative and more raw, I guess, mm-hmm. than mine, but that's okay because you know, it's my platform for what I want to be able to post. And so. Oh, that's absolutely. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and just in discussing this with you, I've realized that we also haven't touched on the fact that, yes, you are an adopted adoptive parent, but also being a parent of alternative needs children, what are some things that you would suggest for maybe some parents that have found our podcast based on these search terms that you have done to foster and keep your marriage healthy or your mental health? You talked about the gym, but what are some things as, that you would do as advice for you know, your time is limited to, to maintain your marriage and create a wonderful marriage. Yeah. So one thing that we do is, um, with our, with our strict schedules, we, we put the kids down at, at eight 
every night. And so from eight to like 10, 10 30, that's our time. Um, so we, we work extremely hard from, you know, three o'clock to, you know, eight to, to make sure that dinner's on the table, everything's clean and, and ready for the next day of school. Lunches are packed, you know, clothes are out and we're working together as this team to get all this done. And then once they're all in bed, then it's our time to watch the show that we want to watch, put the movie on that we want to watch, play a game that we want to do, you know, you know, whatever, whatever we want to plan, then we'll plan that. And um, COVID has really thrown a curveball with, uh, you know, date nights and things like that. Uh, but having that, uh, a strong babysitter circle that, you know, we can go to like a family member, or if, if you don't have family around, you know, educating one of our kids, John has a G tube. And so teaching a babysitter that may be comfortable with, um, G tubes, like, um, how to properly use that. And so like, um, it, it seems that other special needs families are, are more than happy to help because they realize the importance of, having that time with your spouse to be able to get away for a moment and go enjoy a meal or go hang out with some other friends. And so that's, that's what we do is, is, you know, have that time from eight on and then, you know, a date night here and there. So. That's a good question. Good answer. And then also to um, just in terms of what um, I do in daily life, in terms of the commercial built environment, what are some things that could assist you in being able to take your children on outings to like concert halls, events or whatnot? What are some items people who create built environments or our facility planners can do to make it easier for your kids to go places? Absolutely. I think uh, IDA and uh, some of the federal laws that have been in place to be able to make sure that everything is accessible. Uh, um, and then um, I think a lot of like plays, for example, they'll have, uh, earlier showings or, or, or movies theaters have, uh, certain, uh, times, timeframes that, uh, the, the population knows that there might be a, a child with sensory needs or, or, or uh, children with needs can attend this and, this movie and this would be appropriate for their level of development. So some of the ratings as well as um, theaters will have like something written within, if you're purchasing this ticket, know that, you know, this is open and available for all, all audiences, whether they're sitting in a, you know, the chair or laying down up front or something along those lines. So I think, um, yeah, that, that's definitely a big put that, that can be a big push to better educate certain businesses for, inclusivity in, in all areas. That's great. That's a really good question. Well, Claire's got all the good questions. I'm very passionate about, about this, you know, this, yeah, this all about this. Right. So, um, a lot too, actually, cause that really makes me think, you know, like, so thanks for this question. So, and I think that'd be really great too. Um, I'm trying to have it so that you know, we can use this as a platform in searching yeah. for podcasts for other stuff. I realized that you can actually search for things and like specific episodes will come up. Mm -hmm. So in our keywords, I'll put, put things in our description and whatnot for this. So, but yeah. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy day. And, uh, you know, we are so excited to share, share your story with everyone because it's, it's really amazing. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's inspiring. 
I'm just thank you. Yeah, yeah, so excited to be have this opportunity to talk with you. And also, I would recommend all of our users take a moment to reflect on your day, and that we can learn something from your children. And um, we're hoping to maybe start sharing their stories and check out buckets of Bulgarians. Bucket of Bulgarians. I'm excited. That's gonna be my number. Yeah. That's gonna be my number one Instagram. I need to see what I need. I need to see if Simon's exactly how I pictured him. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a great night, and uh, yeah. Again, thank you so much. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so you guys. If you'd like to connect with us on Instagram or TikTok, you can find us at Origins Unknown Podcast. You can follow my co-host at Beyond the Tats. You can find me at Sea Bear Huntington. We're also on Twitter. Follow us at O Unknown Podcast. If you'd like to visit our website, it's OriginsUnknownPodcast.com. Also, if you'd like to send us questions, uh, share your story, or even just say hi, you can send us an email at Hello at OriginsUnknownPodcast.com. Special thanks to Pace Randolph for writing, performing, and producing the audio for our podcast. Follow him on Spotify for more wonderful music. I think I walked the long way home. Now for just pick me up and hold me close when things get rough. And you're